Hey, of all the places you could be today, thank you for making us a part of your day. Welcome to The Quest. It's always good to be together. We say this all the time, but if you happen to be checking us out today, we're really glad that you're with us. Okay, so before we begin, how about if we open up with a word of prayer? We've got a lot of stuff going on in our lives, and we've got a lot of things that we're dealing with, and we want to open our hearts. We want to invite God. This is a time to set aside an opportunity for us to have an intentional connection with God. So let's do that. Father, we come to you right now and I just lift up my friends to you. We come to you together on behalf of the needs in our lives, on behalf of our need for you in our lives. Father, I ask that you would, Father, provide faith and strength and joy and peace for every person who is needing those things in their lives. And we just invite your activity Father, we ask that you would give us faith to trust you. We ask that you would give us strength for the journey. Father, that you would help us to turn our attention upon you, that we would look to you, that we would not be distracted by the world or the things going on in this world and the attitudes that we deal with. Father, I pray that you would just begin that cleaning process and help us to reflect you in, in all of our ways. Not that we're going to be perfect, Father, we want you to get the attention of our lives. We want you to get the glory of our lives. And so, Father, we just come to you and we surrender ourselves. And I ask that you would just speak into our lives today, that you would open your word to our hearts, that you would allow us to connect with you in a deeper way. And Father, we ask that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Well, listen, we're in a brand new series that we're starting, and we've titled it Summer Lovin'. At the Quest, summer has always been a time where we reconnect and reevaluate our love, our love to each other, our love to God, our love to our community. So summer has always been a season for a love tune-up, if you will. It's where we ask the questions like, are we extending to others what we have received? Are we loving others well? Does our love come from a care and a compassionate heart? If you're a part of the Quest and you understand that Quest Camp is coming up, this is a weekend that we all get away and we go to the coast, Central Coast, and we do life together. We camp out together and we have service on the beach. It's an opportunity that we've created to make ourselves available to relationships, to step into community and to do life together, to show love to one another and to show that we care for one another. A love that goes beyond our words. At camp, we have this thing that we do called Quest Compassion Project. It's where we do something for someone without them knowing. It's kind of like a, a secret Santa in July. But it's where we do something kind, where we buy something for someone without them knowing who it is that cares for them so that they know that they're cared for and they know that they're valued. So Summer Eleven happens when we open our heart to others. And in this process, we too are surprised by love that we receive. We want as a church to love well. But the secret to loving well, and you can write this down, is this. The secret to loving well is first to experience that you are already loved well. We tend to love others the way that we have been loved. And we give the love that we have been given. So if we're going to love others the way that Jesus loves us, then we have to experience Jesus' love personally. John writes in 1 John, he says this, that we are able to love because he, Jesus, first loved us. So if we're going to love like Jesus, something you might want to write down is this. The first step to love is not step toward them, but to step towards Him. 
As we step towards Jesus, when we open our heart to Jesus, when we experience Jesus, we discover his love that fills us and enables us to love others differently, deeply. Man, a lot of people don't know that they are loved by God. And, and I just want to remind you of a few things. That you are God's creation. You are God's possession. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. You are chosen by God. You are loved by God. God thinks about you more than you can even count. His thoughts of you are more than the sands of the sea. You are unique and irreplaceable. You are worth dying for. He has already forgiven you. And in his eyes, you are precious to him. You're probably thinking, well, you know what? God doesn't know me very well. Yes, he knows you intimately. He knows you because he created you. There's nothing that is hidden from him. And he still loves you, as I just stated. And something that we need to know about being loved by God is this you can write down. Your lack of love for God does not affect God's abundance of love for you. None of us love God as he deserves. But your lack of love doesn't limit his abundance of love for you. That is great news. We all know that we don't deserve him, and yet God loves us unconditionally. That's what Paul was saying when he wrote this. He says, may you be able to feel and understand, as all God's children should, how long and how wide and how deep and how high, how great his love really is. And to experience this love for yourselves, though it is so great that you will never see the end of it fully or, or know or understand it. And so at last, you will be filled up with God himself. Have you ever loved someone and it wasn't reciprocated back? They, they call that stalking, by the way. I'm just, just kidding. When we love someone and that love is not returned, generally we give up on the love. We stop extending love because it's not returned to us. Because by nature, we are pretty selfish people. God's love is way different than ours. He's not affected by our lack of love. Though we lack love, he still fully loves us. And that's an important fact that we need to get. You can write this down. God wants everyone to discover and experience his love for them. God wants you to discover it and experience it personally for yourself. I personally believe that most people have heard that God loves them, but they carry a lot of baggage about God's love for them because some just don't believe it. They choose not to believe it. Some can't believe it because they can't get past their own issues as if God can't get past their issues. And then there's some people that they just flat misunderstand it. They kind of try to define it in their own terms. And, and that's where we get into problems as well. Because God established the relationship for us, so he gets to define what that relationship looks like. A lot of people misunderstand God's love, and I hope that we can clear that up today. I want to explain something as we get into this. The New Testament was written in Greek, and in the Greek language, there are four different terms for love. I'm going to look at three of them for us today. The first one you can write down if you want, and that's this. It's called phileo, which is brotherly love. It's the love that we have for one another. It's the kindness and it's the care that we have, as in the brother and sisterly love that we have. There's also one that is called euros, which is a passionate love. It's an er erotic love. 
And these are natural forms of love. But then there is a supernatural form of love, and that is agape love, which is an unconditional love. And this is God's kind of love. And this is the love that we're called not just to experience, but to give. Agape is the highest form of love. It's not motivated by superficial attraction. It's not an emotional attraction, nor does it reflect a sentimental relationship. It's a choice of commitment and devotion, not based on the action of another, but on the value that God has placed upon us. And agape love is the love that God has for you. It's not contingent upon your action. So let's look at some definitions of unconditional love. First of all, the definition of unconditional love is without conditions, obviously. It's, it's not contingent nor determined or influenced by someone or something else. Another definition of unconditional love is it's not a feeling. It's a desiring and doing the best for someone, though it may not be reciprocated. And if you needed a more complete definition of God's love, just read 1 Corinthians 13. I just want to remind you of this, and I want you to keep this in your thoughts, that there is nothing that you have done, there is nothing that you could do that would cause God to love you less. That's an essential concept for us to understand about God's love, God's unconditional love for us. We just need to understand that God's love is not defined by our past. In other words, it's not limited because of our mistakes and our failures and those kinds of things. Also, God's love is not earned. In other words, you can't do anything that's going to earn God's love or allow you to deserve more of God's love. Also, God's love is not based on our performance. So in other words, when you mess up, that God stops loving you. We have to understand that God's love is a gift. And it is a great gift. But something we also have to understand that is a common misconception about God's unconditional love is this, and you can write it down. God loving you doesn't mean you're in relationship with God. I want to repeat that again, that God, because God loves you, it doesn't mean that you're in a relationship with God. See, relationship is not one-sided. Relationship requires a response. Our response is we choose to love Him in return because He loves us. Relationship with God has conditions. It's contingent upon our action. In fact, we can say it more simply this way. God's love for you is unconditional, but relationship with God is conditional. The benefits that we so desperately want and need come from having a personal relationship with God. It comes out of our commitment to God. It doesn't mean that we're perfect or that we have to be perfect. It means that we enter into relationship when we love God in response to His love for us. And as I said earlier, we have to come to God on His terms because He defined the relationship that we get to have with Him. We don't define it. So let's look at a few examples that uh, God gives for some conditions that we have on our relationship with Him. Uh, the first one is this. It's found in Romans. It says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, that you will be saved. Another one is this, if you forgive those who sin against you, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. 
Loving God is not on our terms. It's on his terms. Another scripture is this. The command that we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. So you can see the conditions that we, we are given. We don't get to pick and choose how we love. God says, this is the kind of love that we need to have to enter into relationship. It has nothing to do with how much God loves us. But if we want to step into relationship, then that means that we fully surrender ourselves to love Him. So God puts these conditions on our relationship with Him. But here's the good news, and you write this down. God's love for you makes a relationship possible to you. As bad as we are, our, con our sin condition required that someone had to pay for our sins. And God sent His Son, Jesus, to do just that on our behalf. Paul says in Romans, he says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God's love opens the door to us and makes relationship with him possible for us. In Acts, it says this, It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. The opportunity is open to all of us to have relationship with God. That is great news. God wants relationship with you. And when we accept the fact that God does love us, when we accept what Jesus did for us because of his love, then we step into a personal relationship with Jesus. And here's what happened. You write this down. Relationship with Jesus changes our identity. When we accept that Jesus loves us so much that he died on a cross for our sins and that he rose from the dead, we stop trying to change ourselves for God. And here's what happens. We experience that God's love is what actually changes us. What Jesus did for you means that you are valuable to God and that you're forgiven by God and you've been given a purpose from God. In Ephesians, it tells us this, that it's in Christ that we find out who we are, where we get our identity from, and what we're living for. Your purpose in life is not defined by what you want. It's not defined by what others want for you. Your purpose has been established from the beginning of time. Before you were created, God created you with a purpose. See, and when we accept God's love, something else that we experience is this, you write down, that God loves everyone the same. The worst of the worst, the best of the best, your ex-husband, your ex-wife, your boss, those who don't share your political views. The scripture says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believed in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God loves all the people of this world. A couple other scriptures, and there's many more, is this. Even before he made the world, God loved us. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Psalms 145 says, The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all of his creation. When we understand that God loves all the people of the world, and that love is in us, Guess what happens? We start loving all the people of the world. We also need to understand this. Love isn't just something that God does. It's who God is. Love is more than an expression from God. Love defines God. It is his character. It is his nature. First John 4, 8, John writes this. He says that God is love. 
Here's what that means. Just like God is truth, just like God is faithful, just like God is good, this is a part of God's character, that God is love. He doesn't have to try to be loving. The actions that come from him define love in him. Something else we need to understand is this, that God's love gives us free will. Probably one of the greatest gifts that he could give to us. Free will means that God gives us the opportunity to make choices that genuinely affect our destiny. The world's current sinful state is directly related to people's ability to choose freely how they live and who they love and how they love. It's a choice that's reflected in the choice of Adam and Eve. God does not force anyone to love him. And loving God is a choice that each of us make. In fact, it's a choice that we make every single day. In the book of Deuteronomy, God says this. He says, today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessing and curses. In other words, he's given us the choice, whatever it is that you want. He says, now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying Him, and committing yourself firmly to Him. This is the key to your life. God loves you so much that He gave you free will. He gave you the opportunity to choose whether or not you want to love Him so that you're not forced to love Him. God's love is a gift and you can accept it if you want it or you can reject it if you don't want it. Your destiny, your eternity is in your hands. It's in your choice because there are consequences to not accepting God's love. Because what in fact we're doing is we're rejecting God's love and we're rejecting doing life with him, not just here in this world, but for eternity. We are choosing, we don't want to do life with him. We don't want to be close to him. And, and God honors that. So when we don't choose God, we're saying we don't want to spend eternity with God. Listen, God has already made heaven possible and available to you. All you have to do is accept what Jesus did on the cross for you, the expression of God's love to you. When we accept his love and surrender our lives to him, then he promises an eternity with him which is another important issue that we need to understand about God's love. And it's this you can write down, that God's love is sacrificial. God made the sacrifice of paying for your sin and my sin before we ever asked for it, before we even knew that we needed it, before we even wanted it. It goes back to my first question, have you ever loved someone that it, love was not reciprocated to you? God's love for you caused him to give his only son as a sacrifice for your sins and my sins. We didn't ask for it, we didn't deserve it, and we didn't even want it. Scripture says it this way, that this is how God showed his love for us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is the kind of love that we're talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage that we've done to our relationship with God. It was all God's idea. It was all his work. It was all his plan, his activity, his gift to you, his sacrifice. So here's the question. How do we respond to God's love? I mean, God has given his love that has come with a great sacrifice. How do we respond to this love? 
We choose to love God, of course, but that means this, you can write it down. Love others with the same love that God has loved you. We love others with the exact same love that God has given to us. John writes this in 1 John. He says, My beloved friends, let us continue to love each other since love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. So you can't know him if you don't love. That is a powerful verse, but it's so much more powerful when you understand who wrote that verse. Who wrote the Gospel of John? Who wrote 1st and 2nd and 3rd John? It wasn't John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. He was already in heaven by the time this was written. This was a man named John who had a brother named James, and they were known as the Sons of Thunder. They were disciples of Jesus although they were not disciple material. These guys didn't graduate the best in the class. They weren't the most spiritual. They weren't the most holy. They were rough, brash, and loud. They probably cussed like sailors because they were fishermen of the sea. And with that, they had a bad reputation. Their nickname, Sons of Thunder, kind of gives off a Harley leather type of a feel, if you would, in a good way, I guess. And we don't know what they did that deserved that nickname or that title, Sons of Thunder, but we kind of get a glimpse in Luke chapter 9. See, when Jesus was traveling around to all these cities, his disciples were with him, but the people in the cities did not accept Jesus. They did not respond friendly to Jesus. They were not open to Jesus or warm with Jesus. They were pretty mean. And these disciples, they didn't say, hey, it's okay, we'll go ahead and make cookies, we'll still invite them to our connection group, and we'll still try our best to make them feel welcome. That's not how they responded. In fact, what they said is, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? These were the type of guys that didn't just start fights, they finished them. These were the guys that always found trouble wherever they went. But here's what happened. As John started spending time with Jesus, as John started a relationship with Jesus, and he began to spend this time with Jesus, all of these moments, day by day by day, it began to change John. What Jesus did was he simply loved them. They experienced God's love in a personal way, not just once, but on a daily basis as they spent time with Jesus. And here's what we discover is slowly, day after day, John's identity started to change. And how do we know this? Because three times John writes in the gospel and he identifies himself as the one that Jesus loved. John no longer saw himself as a son of thunder. He no longer saw himself as a hothead or a screw up. He saw himself as the one that Jesus loved. That is how powerful God's love is. It changes our identity. It changes how we see ourselves. And I want to remind you of that today. I want you to experience God's love. No matter what your parents have said to you about you, no matter what others have said about you, no matter how others have made you feel or how your failures from the past have sought to define you, no matter how many times you've fallen short, no matter how much you feel like a failure, I want to remind you that you are the one that Jesus loved, just like John. And Jesus makes himself available to you just like he did John. And that love can change how you see yourself. It can change how you see others. 
it allows us to love like Jesus. And remember, this is what John says. He says that we love because he first loved us. In other words, our love is defined by his love in us and for us. I want you to experience that today. If you never have, man, this is just an opportunity for you to have a conversation with God. But maybe it's just been a long time. Maybe you have been going through the motions and not connected to the love of God. This is a great time to reconnect to that. This is a great time to reconnect with Him. Uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. I lift up my friends to you. Those that uh, have never stepped into a relationship with you, Father. Those that have never encountered your love. Those that have always defined your love for them by their failures and their faults and their mistakes. Father, I ask that as they open their hearts to you and as they ask for this relationship with you, that you become the center of their life, that you help them and that you would breathe new life into them, that you would give them a passion for life and that, Father, that you would provide for them a new purpose in life, that you would define them. Father, thank you for loving us and thank you for opening our hearts to your love. Help us in our pursuits in life to not be distracted with the things of this world, but help us to love you as you love us. Father, help us not to take your love for granted, but Father, help us to fully embrace your love and help us to fully pursue your love and to accept your love. Help us, Father, to make your love our daily choice. Father, we love you and thank you. Thank you for loving us. And may your love not just redefine us, but Father, may your love redefine how we love others. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I say this all the time, but it's a process for us. Loving God and being loved by God. Our commitment to God is a process. You're going to fail. You're going to stumble. But we don't allow the stumble to eliminate us. We understand that God loves us even though we stumble. So we get up and we keep going. We keep walking with God. We keep trusting God. And I want to encourage you to do that. Listen, thank you guys so much for being with us today, making us a part of your day. We really do appreciate you and love you. We look forward to seeing you really soon. We're praying for you. God's very best. You have a great rest of your week. Bye-bye.